0: Hey, party people, welcome to the Messy Hallelujah podcast. I'm Katie. Each episode, you're going to hear me talking to one of my friends about their stories. I hope that by the end, you'll feel like you're one of our friends, too. Here at the Messy Hallelujah podcast, we're all about telling real stories, talking about real faith and getting real messy. So pull up a chair, put on your comfy pants and get ready to get messy. (laughs) Hey, party people. So today is a conversation that I am so excited to have you listen to. Today, I'm talking to Arden, who is an infertility warrior, as she calls herself, and has suffered two miscarriages. And the thing that I think is so interesting, and I'm so excited for you to hear, is that Arden has a different faith than me. And we really jump into how we, as Christians, can love others that have different faiths than us, and how we can walk through the grief together. It is an amazing conversation. She is so wise so honest and i can't wait for you to hear it. so let's jump in with Arden. Hey Arden, i am so excited to have you with us today on the Messy Hallelujah podcast.
1: Hey, i'm so excited to be here. I'm a little nervous, but i'm sure i'll get oh. through the nerves.
0: <laughs> no, girl. This like i told you, I think at this point, if anyone that has listened expects me to act a fool, so you probably will look so wise in comparison to me. So you are doing, you'll do fabulous. I will (laughs) see. Well, before we jump into your story, just I'd love to hear a little bit about who you are, your family, where you live, all the good
1: things. Yeah. So, um, I live in, I always say small town, North Carolina, because of I was even to name the town. Nobody would know where it is. Um, and I've grown up here since I was about five years old. I was actually born in New York. Um, my husband and I went to the same high school, but didn't know each other. He's three years older than me. Um, so we live on the same road where he grew up and we have four dogs. We are the crazy dog people. Um, and we have a son, which took us about three years to get to him. So we had kind of a long fertility journey and we had two miscarriages, but he is turning six months old this weekend, which is kind of crazy. That's awesome. But that, and, uh, that's my life in a nutshell, I guess.
0: <laughs> and what is, just so I don't have to keep referring to them as your husband and your son, what is your husband's name? Oh,
1: his name is Carrie and my son's name is Cameron. Carrie and Cameron.
0: Perfect. Mm-hmm. All right, so you already mentioned this a little bit, but you said it took you guys a little while to get to Cameron. So let's kind of talk about when you and Carrie decided, hey, it's time to start a family. What did that look like?
1: Um, It's actually really funny and innocent we wanted to get a new car and so we were thinking like we don't want to get a small car because we want to have kids and so we looked at suvs and then we started talking about well now we have the suv we might as well start trying to have a kid (laughs) so (laughs) it was just a very weird like we always knew that we wanted to have kids um but we thought we wanted to be more financially stable. We we had all these things that we wanted to do first, and then we realized how unrealistic a lot of them are because you're never really ready to have a kid. Like, even if we were financially set, I, that could be in 10 years, and I wanted to have kids before that. So we just kind of decided to jump into it, and I think that was um, February 2017.
0: And it, yeah, people always say, like, You'll, you'll know when you're ready. And I think it's like, you'll never be. So just, no. just never go are ahead you and ready. do it. <laughs> never are you. I'm not ready. And we have one at home, you know? So like, yeah. let's just <laughs> just go for it. That's hilarious though. You did it backwards instead of buying the SUV mm-hmm. after you had child. <laughs> y'all did it. I love that. That inspired you, yeah. the SUV. <laughs> So you guys started. Whenever
1: we got the SUV, everybody asked us, like, "Oh, so does this mean you're going to have kids?" And I'm like, "That's such a weird thing because that's what we were thinking." And it's like people were vocalizing that, seeing that we got a bigger car, which, you know, everybody knows that family members kind of get into your business with, "When are you having kids?" And we were married, I think, three years at that point. So we were at the point where people were starting to say, "Okay, you've been married for a little bit. When are you going to have children?"
0: You guys didn't line. have people asking you that like right after your honeymoon because we did. We had people that were like, we so when are the baby, you didn't girl, no. maybe, it's, maybe it's a Georgia thing. Lucky. You did. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it's because I'm a little bit deeper South. We had people like, I feel like the day after our wedding, that was like, awesome. Congratulations. You're married. Now, when are the babies coming? And I was like, "What?" I'm yeah, still figuring out how to live with this hooligan. That.
1: That's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, really. I need to figure out if I want to have kids with them.
0: (laughs) Right. First, we got to get there. Seriously. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you guys start trying. Were you expecting it to be an easy process? Were you thinking, oh, this will be no big thing. We'll try. We'll get pregnant.
1: Yes. I thought that like, This sounds so stupid. And I was the most naive person, but I had no idea that there were certain days that you could get pregnant. I thought you just had sex and it happened because in school you're taught the way that you make babies is you have sex and don't have unprotected sex even once because you're going to get pregnant or you're going to get an STD. Like it's that easy to get those things is what it, you know, always seemed like. So we had sex once. I don't even know what day of my cycle I don't even know if I was ovulating. And I was like, I'm so pregnant. Like, I thought <laughs> that it would just happen after that one time. And um, I just, I was so naive and I had to learn so much about my body in the coming months. But um, I did. I thought that it would happen very easy. My mom was very fertile. She got pregnant the first month that she tried for me and I have a brother. Um, and she actually had a miscarriage between us, but she still. Quickly got pregnant with that pregnancy. Um, and then I also had doctors telling me that I had childbearing hips, which now as an adult, it's very strange that people tell you things like that. Oh, wait, but, they told um, you that as a child? No, maybe as oh. like a teenager. <laughs> like, like after puberty. That's still odd. No, I know. And, and looking back, it, it is very odd. I had, it was female doctors, so it's not, maybe I was creepy, but um, I always was told that I had the body to carry children. And so I think I thought between that and my mom being really fertile that I would also be very fertile. And Mm -hmm. I just thought it would happen very easily. Um, But it did not. I I was kind of backwards as my mom, from my mom.
0: And at what point, how long had y'all been trying when you recognized, oh, this might not be as easy as I thought that it would be?
1: Um, About five or six months in, I thought something has to be wrong. Like, even though Google tells you that it's normal to take a year, I just I felt like something just wasn't right. Um, after that first month, I started doing some Googling and reading blogs, and I learned like, oh, I have to ovulate. Let me figure out when I ovulate. So I bought ovulation tests, and I did all of those things. Um, and so about five or six months in, I started to get really anxious. And then it was maybe – I know 10 or 11 months was kind of like my breaking point. Like I just was in – like kind of a a dark place thinking, this is never going to happen. And now looking back, now that it's been three years, that time passed so quickly. And it it felt like it was taking longer to get there back then. Mm. I don't know if that really makes sense. Um, But I definitely felt like something was wrong. And I think we started seeing a fertility specialist a little over a year in.
0: Well, I think that definitely makes sense. Because when you're in the midst of waiting, Mm. like, oh my gosh, of looking back, it like feels forever. And I bet that when you're trying to get pregnant actively, right, you just kind of like look at the calendar and wait for the day. And you're like, maybe this will be the month that I don't start Mm -hmm. my period. And then, right. So it's like an active waiting process.
1: Yes. And it's like, you count your days differently. So it's like every day feels so long because you have three more days until you can test. Mm-hmm. Two more days. You know, it's just every day is so much longer than it seems to be.
0: We had that same, a different but same feeling when we were in the adoption process because every day could have been the day that we got the phone call of. Yeah. And so like every day it was one of those things like, oh, I have to have my phone next to me at all times because today could be the day. And then you go to bed and you're like, well, guess this <sighs> wasn't the day. But every day could be and every month yeah. it could be the month that it was the month.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Waiting sucks. Like I I think in any version of a fertility journey, um, the waiting is easily the worst part.
0: Absolutely. So then you guys go and see a fertility doctor. Did you have a specific diagnosis or was it just, it's not working right now. Let's keep
1: going. Yeah. So I went into the fertility specialist. um, I went into seeing him with the expectation of, I think I have endometriosis. I thought that for a very long time, because ever since my period started, whenever I was 13, I've had excruciating periods to where I'm throwing up from the pain. I'm on the floor. I miss school. I've had to miss work. Um, I've always had very heavy and painful periods. Sex has often been painful for me, which is another symptom um, of endometriosis. And nobody ever really looked into it. Like, I took it upon myself to figure out I think this is what's happening to me. Um, And nobody wanted to explore it, which was really frustrating. Uh, Another thing that I had concerns about was my progesterone. I had very, not very short cycles, but they were shorter. And um, the time from ovulation to the end of my period wasn't long enough to really get pregnant. And so that indicates uh, low progesterone. And so these were my questions going in. And I, I got kind of written off like, well we're not there yet. You know, we don't need to look into that. And so I kind of had to take it upon myself to advocate for myself to get these answers. But um, ultimately, our diagnosis was unexplained infertility without looking into the two things that I thought would explain my infertility. (laughs) Um, But after some fighting, I did get some tests for my progesterone and we did find that my progesterone was very low. So I think at the end of the day, that was probably my diagnosis. It's all very odd with the diagnosis.
0: is that you diagnosis. are not my first friend that I have talked to that has this diagnosis as unexplained infertility is that not the most frustrating mm-hmm. diagnosis to me I'd be like that'd be like if my leg was bleeding and I went in they were like don't know <laughs>
1: like I I it still baffles me because on my paperwork it says unexplained infertility But to me, it was explained by my low progesterone and my possible endometriosis that they didn't think was a big deal. Um, Because what they said to me was, you probably do have endometriosis, but it's not worth doing surgery right now. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, they also agreed with me. I had like a clinical diagnosis of endometriosis, but it doesn't matter until you have a surgical diagnosis. Um, So, it's still very weird to me. And I had a bunch of testing and they couldn't find anything else. So they stuck with unexplained.
0: Okay. Unexplained. Interesting. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that boggles my mind but that that could be like a medical <laughs> diagnosis, but whatever. It's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you guys are going to fertility doctors, unexplained infertility, but at one point in your story, you do get pregnant. So will you tell us it, a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. So, um, and I, I call myself the most fertile, infertile person ever because I feel like from here on out, like I got pregnant multiple times. So, a year and a half into trying, we were about to start fertility treatment. Um, I was going to take a medication that would help me time ovulation. I was going to be on progesterone and do all these things. Um, And I made an appointment to start that cycle because my period started on the same day every single month. Um, And I made the appointment, and the day comes, and my period isn't here. And I'm like, my body hates me. I was just pissed. Like I was just so mad at my body. Like, of course it would be late because I made this appointment that way I could get in at 7am before work. And, um, I mean, I was just so mad. I remember I got it. Like I got another large coffee that day. I'm like, I'm going to punish this body because it's just not working. Um, and something you'll, Learned probably throughout my story is that coffee is like my punishment for my body. Like, I'll have an extra coffee just to spite my body for some reason. Um, Caffeine, because in fertility, like you have to limit your caffeine, and caffeine is like my drug of choice. So, I love coffee. Coffee is my favorite thing. And so, being told that I can't drink a lot of it, whenever something goes wrong in my fertility journey, I would drink too much of it, I guess.
0: That's hilarious. So like, instead of drinking some alcohol or something, to yeah. you're like, I'm just going straight to the coffee. I'm glad you explained that. Cause when you said I punish my body with coffee, I was like, yeah, that is, that is how <laughs> yeah. I reward my body every morning. So,
1: okay. That makes, yes. that makes more sense. Yes. I was like, so throughout see. my journey, I punish my body by having a venti coffee from Starbucks. And it's like the whole time I'm just like spiting my body while I drink it. Um, but I guess it is a reward. So that's a very negative way of me thinking of coffee. But that's just throughout my my journey. That's that's my reward for bad things happening to me. I guess. Um, so yeah. So that day, I go and I get a 20 ounce coffee from Starbucks, and I'm like, my fricking period isn't starting, and I need it to start on time. Um, and it's about three days later that I realize, oh, I actually think I might be pregnant. The one month that I'm not focusing on this. I actually could be pregnant. So I go to Walmart and I get a bunch of different tests. That way, I can get an accurate result. I go home and I actually recorded myself for the first time. I had never recorded myself to a pregnancy test, but I was like, something is off. Um, and it said pregnant. So I naturally got pregnant a year and a half into trying. The month before we were supposed to do fertility treatment, um, we I didn't track. I had no idea when we had sex. I had no idea when I ovulated. I literally relaxed and it happened, which really pissed me off even more. Um,
0: Because isn't that the thing that everyone said to y'all too? I mean, I have had so many people that said, just relax. It'll happen. I'm like, that's the last way to get someone to relax is tell them to relax. That's rude.
1: Yes. It's it's so rude. And I was told that all the time. I was told my anxiety was hindering me from getting pregnant. And um, from a scientific standpoint, I don't think that's accurate, but what do I know? Um, But yeah, the month that we did not track or worry about it at all, we got pregnant and which is still to this day blows my mind. I have no idea really how it happened. Um, And so to me, I thought this pregnancy is a miracle. This is meant to be right. Um, And so I go into it thinking like, man, this baby was just meant to be here. And um, we went in for our first ultrasound and we didn't see what we needed to see. So we started what was called, what I refer to as pregnancy limbo. For the next three weeks, I was in this limbo stage because my doctor didn't feel confident that the pregnancy was viable, but didn't feel confident that the pregnancy was no longer growing. So we went in at seven weeks and we were measuring two weeks behind at five weeks and we did not see a heartbeat. Um, We went in every week for an ultrasound in hopes that we would see a heartbeat and we continued to see growth, but still no heartbeat. So I still, there's a lot of confusion about that pregnancy for me. Um, My doctor thinks that the baby could have had a heartbeat for a day or two and then um, passed away, but um, I should have been 10 months or 10 months, 10 weeks pregnant. Good Lord. Um, And I was still measuring about six weeks. So it was just a very confusing time for my doctor and for me. But I really valued that he wasn't quick to say, you miscarried. Let's you know, go with one of your options. Um, he did give it some time and, and had some hope, I think, in the pregnancy. Um, so I... That's, I guess, the the beginning of my first miscarriage, and I did not want to go through it naturally. I didn't want to experience miscarriage. I wanted to schedule the DNC, which is a procedure um, that you can get done um, to basically be put under and, and wake up, and, and the physical part be over, right? Um, so we scheduled that for two days later because our wedding anniversary was the next day, and I did not want to miscarry on my wedding anniversary. Um, and I went home and. <laughs> And like, how dare I not want to do that? Um, I went home and uh, I actually woke up at 1 a.m. on our wedding anniversary and I learned that the miscarriage had started overnight. Mm-hmm. So I miscarried at home um, the morning of our wedding anniversary, mm-hmm. which was easily like one of the worst moments of my entire life.
0: And at that point, did you want to have like a coffee um, martini? Like, or what? <laughs> whatever oh. thing? Well, I don't even know if they make those. I'm sure they're out there, but...
1: Oh, I think How that they do. I'm sure they do. Um, I'm sure yes, they do. I, I did. I I definitely, Um, as I recovered from that miscarriage, I drank a lot of coffee, <laughs> like a lot of coffee for me. So before we started trying to conceive, I'd have like two large coffees a day and be totally fine. Um, I wouldn't even feel like a, a caffeine buzz. And so after my miscarriage, I would have like two or three or more coffees, like just pissed at my body, right? Like I just, I want to pump it full of caffeine. Um which it's so funny like talking about this because this is really how people like get addictions to alcohol and, and, and things like that, but I chose coffee. Um, I also ate whatever I wanted because I had been dairy free and soy free and gluten free, trying to just fix my body of you know whatever my infertility was and I just I gave up on all that like I just started punishing my body and I'm, I'm a comfort food eater, obviously. Um, I looked towards food and, and things like that to make myself feel better so um yeah, I definitely punished my body with a lot of caffeine. Yeah.
0: And how was your like faith doing at this point? Because you had just said that you felt like this baby mm-hmm. was a miracle, like it was meant to be mm-hmm. here. And then what was it like to then in turn, that feels so cruel to me that you mm-hmm. got pregnant naturally, you felt like this was a miracle. You didn't even try. And then to go into your first real doctor's appointment yeah. and be like, well, what?
1: How are yeah. you feeling um, at this point? I, so a quick thing about um, my faith is my grandma passed away whenever I was 11. So whenever I think of um, Faith, I always think of her because I always think she's looking over me and I think that she has a hand in my life in, in some way. Um, and a few months before that pregnancy, my husband lost his cousin in a tragic accident. So I thought we had these two people looking over us, these people that love us so much. You know, they would never let anything bad happen to us. Um, so I felt really angry. I felt really angry at them for allowing this to happen. I felt really angry at the universe in itself because why would you give me this gift and take it away from me? Um, I, I definitely, the emotion that I felt was anger. Mm, It felt unfair. Like you said, it was cruel. It just, it made no sense. Like why even let this child exist for a short period of time for their life to end. So it be so short. Yeah. It's just, it's so cruel.
0: And I think the part that I love about this podcast is that people with different, we can have conversations with different faith journeys. Like your faith is different than mine and that's okay. And to say though, that the, that the feelings are the same, like you can sit in that and and whether I say like, Hey, I feel like God is so cruel to me or maybe to you, it feels like the universe. Like that is the same. We felt the same feelings and the same kind of grief. In that, yeah, in the midst of having different faiths and what that might look like.
1: Well, and I know that we we talked a little bit before we started um, this episode, like about how I grew up in a different faith probably than what you grew up in. And and I definitely believe in God, and I and I think that I would like to think that He's looking out for me, right? And in this moment, I'm angry, but for me, I, I'm wondering, like, how could somebody that creates life? create a life, not to let them thrive or not to let them have a chance at fighting. That's kind of the way that I thought about it. So I I definitely, um, I don't know, kind of rocked that, I guess, for me.
0: Absolutely. And I think that's, I think the same conversation that we have is like, I believe that God is someone that loves us deeply. And then, but how can you let someone that you love so deeply go through something that hurts them so much? And so, yeah. I, I totally understand where you were coming from in that moment of just anger, and I think that
1: yeah,
0: I think that's something that's okay to talk about. We don't talk about that often. I think it's one of those like buck up, buttercup, put on your big girl pants, and like keep going. And I don't think that's yeah. helpful.
1: Yeah. So
0: you had your first miscarriage. You are drinking a ton of coffee. What did <laughs> were you guys like? We're gonna keep trying. Were you ready to throw in the towel? What did that feel like to y'all?
1: Um, so I remember whenever we left our first appointment where he, my doctor said, you know, I think that this might be a miscarriage, but I'm not sure. I remember crying to my husband. And the first thing I said was, I can't believe we're going to have to start all over because it just felt like it took so long to get there. Was it going to be another year and a half before it happened again? And also at the same time, my best friend was pregnant and she was three weeks ahead of me. Mm -hmm. So now I had to watch her go throughout her pregnancy and I had all these I felt bad that my first thought was, one, I have to start over. Two, I have to watch my best friend carry on with her pregnancy and I don't have mine. Um, So those were two things that kind of factored in, I guess, into trying again. My doctor said, well, once you have your first period, you can jump right into trying. My husband wanted to jump right in. I think I wanted to jump in because I wanted to quickly get pregnant again. That way I didn't have to go through my friend's pregnancy not being pregnant, Um, which sounds very silly, I think, from the outside. But I thought that that would protect my heart a little bit more seeing her go through her pregnancy. I don't Um, think that
0: sounds silly at all. I think it's just like wanting to... Did you feel like you were going to be... This sounds bad because it was your best friend, but I don't think it's bad. Did you feel like you were going to be angry the whole time watching her pregnancy like, and not being able to celebrate with her well? What did you feel like you were going to be like with that?
1: Not angry. I was very jealous of her. And, and something that I'm very open about is that jealousy is a human emotion. And, and it, I think that a lot of people think it's a negative emotion. And it's something like people will be like, oh, she's so jealous of me or, or you know, whatever, whenever you're in A teenager in high school, people use that term as a very negative term. But the truth is, is that we are all jealous of people who have things that we don't have. And that's okay, because that jealousy might push us to get that thing that we want, or it might inspire us to keep going, right? Um, So I was very jealous of her. And luckily, she's a very great and generous and kind person. Um, She was very understanding. And she she helped me a lot through that miscarriage. And she was very... um, careful. She didn't send me ultrasound photos or anything like that. She would always make sure I was okay seeing her. And I know not everybody is that lucky to have a friend like that, but I was very open that I'm jealous because you're experiencing these things that I should also be experiencing. Um, So I I would say jealousy more than anger.
0: Mm, And I think that it's okay when you're talking about that. It's okay to be jealous. It's a human emotion. I also think so much of it depends on how you react to that jealousy, right? Like I think, Oh yeah. If you say you're jealous of your friend, but then you're like really awful to her and a terrible friend to her, like that is jealousy, not in a good way. But I also think it's healing to admit that out loud of one, I bet that was really healing for you and your friend to be able to have that conversation of like, hey, I want to be happy for you. I want to celebrate Mm -hmm. you, but I'm really jealous because I want what you have and to have that honesty in your friendship.
1: Yeah. And I think that's an important note. It's how you handle the jealousy that is healthy or not.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, you guys took a little took a little break, but then you started cr- trying again.
1: Yeah. So, um the thing was is that I thought that it was, you know, a one-time thing to get pregnant naturally. I did not think that it would happen again. I wanted to jump right into our fertility treatment, but my husband said, you know, but we got pregnant naturally let's try naturally again. And so we kind of had this disconnect where he thought it would happen naturally and I was just not a believer that it would. Um, so I should also add that we, my husband had some fertility tests and he had like an A++ on his fertility tests, which were really annoying to me because mine were like inconclusive. <laughs> um, so we were told that we should try naturally because because of his numbers, there was no reason to think it wouldn't happen, which is so frustrating (laughs) to me. Like they, the doctor literally said, holding up his, um, semen analysis results, like this is the type of stuff that we want to show couples to strive for. And I'm sitting here like with inconclusive results. Like, are you kidding me? We're really going to brag about his fertility. Um, so my doctor said that it should be easy for us to get pregnant again since it happened before. Um, We tried naturally for three months and then we jumped into our fertility um, treatment, which we did in the first of the year, 2019. What year is it? Yes. 2019. Um, And so this is where the most fertile infertile person comes in because that treatment worked. And I got pregnant again on the first try. And I I was very lucky, lucky to get pregnant on the first try um, with that, treatment because other couples do like six or seven of those treatment cycles and are not as successful. Um, so we got pregnant again and I was extremely disconnected. I thought for sure it would end in miscarriage and sadly it did. So uh, I, um, that was my second miscarriage within a six month span, which was really hard.
0: And how far along were you when you miscarried the second
1: time? It was the same. It was like exactly the same. Uh, The first appointment ended the same. I was in a weird limbo. It all felt like deja vu, which, um, it really messed with my head. I'm somebody I'm diagnosed with OCD. And I think that that really hurt my OCD because it was the same events over again to where I felt like in the future, I wouldn't be able to separate pregnancy from pregnancy loss, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, The difference with the second loss was I didn't allow them to put me in pregnancy limbo for as long. I said, it's over, let's get this over with. And I actually asked for the medication to induce it at home, which is to this day the biggest regret of my entire life um, because that miscarriage, I miscarried at home, had complications, ended up in the ER where I had to have the DNC anyway after extreme blood loss. Um, so between both miscarriages, it's left me with so much trauma that it was just kind of hard to, to deal with, which, you know, talking about faith, I was like, okay, like you did this to me one time and now the second time is even worse, you know? And it just, it it shook everything up for sure. And
0: I can, only think that you had just, again, I feel like if I were you, I would have been even more frustrated because the fertility treatment worked so easily and so quickly. Mm -hmm. Then you hear stories of fertility Mm -hmm. treatments where it's like they have several rounds or they have to do, you know, IVF or IUIs or all the things that are the next steps and you didn't have to do any of that, but yet it still didn't work.
1: Yeah. I um, I definitely... And I, I'm sure I'm somebody who, um, like, I consider myself a very spiritual person. Obviously, talking about like thinking that my grandma is looking over me and things like that. I do a lot of talking out loud. Like, I will openly talk to her. I will openly talk to God. I will talk to whoever is looking over me and listening. Um, and I'm sure that I said out loud, like, what did I do to you? <laughs> like, what did I do that was so terrible that this is my punishment? Because it makes no mm-hmm. sense. Because um, I felt like, at the end of two miscarriages, I was now in debt, thousands of dollars because of hospital bills. I was now, you know, I had PTSD that I now had to go to therapy for and pay even more money. Like it, it made no sense that all of these things were trickling from me just wanting to be a mom, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, I, I was so angry. The second miscarriage really did me over and I got into a really dark place where I didn't even know if I wanted to try again, which was yeah. really hard.
0: And I mean, talking out loud, praying, whatever we call it, was that something that before you had been talking out loud or praying or asking for this fertility treatment to work? Or as you were getting to the point where you were going to the doctor, was that something that you were asking for it to work? And then did it feel like your prayers were just being like completely unanswered?
1: Yes. Um, I have always done this. Um, so my grandma died whenever I was 11. And I think that that's where I started to make the shift from openly praying just to God to just trying to get through to her because I was angry at God. You know, God took my grandma away from me and she was the nicest person in the world. She didn't deserve it compared to people who commit crimes and do terrible things that are unspeakable, right? Um, So since my grandma died, I had openly really talked to her more than maybe talking to God. And I would kind of go to her for things that were happening in my life. Like I would ask for guidance or support. Um, And it's funny. I feel like I have such weird quirks and saying them out loud just makes me (laughs) laugh with the whole coffee thing. And then my grandma's favorite... musical artist is Neil Diamond. So to connect to her, I listen to Neil Diamond. <laughs> and um, so sometimes whenever I do my talking out loud, I play Neil Diamond. Or if I have um, something happening, like on our way to our first ultrasounds, we've played Neil Diamond, things like that. And so that's always been my, um, my connecting piece, I feel like, to her.
0: And so I feel but- like
1: I was betrayed by her and Neil Diamond. <laughs> Neil Diamond betrayed
0: you, man. Neil <laughs> Diamond. And yeah. did you even feel like after your second miscarriage, like did it even feel worth asking and worth praying, worth talking about anymore? No,
1: no, not at all. Um, I felt like, okay, I get it. Like, this is not going to happen. Like, I don't know what I did, but this is my punishment. I guess this is what I have to live with. And and I Mm -hmm. felt angry. I felt confused. I felt like, is this a sign that I'm just not supposed to have this, you know, like, I couldn't understand it.
0: Yeah. That's, I think that's the hardest spot to sit in when it's something that you want that comes so naturally and easily to other Mm -hmm. people when your world just feels to be so full of hard and so full of mess and saying, I I don't know what else to do with that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in that me, in that time, I was watching couples that, were together less time, that just got married, that just announced a pregnancy. And some people even put in their pregnancy announcements on social media, like, uh, wasn't expecting this to happen or things like that, like it, implying that it came unexpected or, or not as, maybe not as much effort as I had put in, which I had to kind of deal with feeling like a terrible person for thinking like, that person doesn't deserve this. I do, um, you know, but I think that, that's just kind of a part of fertility journeys. Whenever it's not happening, you think, why does this person deserve it? But I don't. Mm. So dealing with that was also, um, during that time, it was, I mean, it was hard. I, I logged out of social media and I just couldn't look at those announcements anymore. I would unfriend people who were pregnant, which seems so petty, but I had to look out for myself. Like I couldn't see their posts. And honestly, there were probably people that I hadn't talked to since high school anyway. Um, so it didn't really matter. But
0: and I don't think that's unhealthy. I think that's learning how to. You were in a process of healing and a process of grieving. Mm-hmm. And I think, as much as I love social media, obviously I love social media. That's how I connected with you. Like, I think there's also yeah. something that is dangerous about it when you're in a part of grief because we're not really naturally mm-hmm. made to be able to connect with thousands of people on a daily basis. No. And, like, and no. prior to these little cell phones, we could, if we were sad and didn't need to talk to people, we could just close our door, take some time and right process and grieve. But as great as social media is to let us, like, I love that about your processes that you use your social media now to like talk about your journey and like help others that are in the same place as you. It also really sometimes can just be hard and just having to take care of yourself and say, this is yeah. better for me right now. And that's okay. I think we also right. need to normalize self-care and we talk about self-care like, oh, get your nails done. Sometimes self-care means I'm not going to look at someone else's pregnancy announcements because that would break my heart right now.
1: Yeah. And it's, and it's learning to set boundaries for yourself and, um, and just kind of follow those, like know your triggers and know how you can maybe avoid those. Um, So I always say, like, it's okay to mute. I give people permission to unfollow me because I know that I post pictures of my son. And some people look at that as inspiration. And some people might find hurt in that because maybe they were supposed to have a child that was the same age as my son. And I completely understand having to take time away um, from seeing those things. And so I think that it's also like sometimes you see on social media, people are complaining about that thing that you want, which is really hard. Like mm. People will say like, oh, I just can't wait until my kid goes to school because I can't think of what to do and spend time with them. And and whenever you're in the thick of infertility or you just had a miscarriage, that's also very hard. Or you might see a news article of a child that passed away from somebody being negligent. And that's, that's hard to swallow because why did that person have a child and you can't have one and you'd be loving and take care of them and things like that. Um, so I think social media is great to relate to other people, but it's also a place where people can share whatever they want and you have no idea what's about to pop up on your newsfeed.
0: Right. And I think that's a super wise thing of you to say, Hey, instead of getting angry at these people for posting their life or what is true to them in that moment, I'm just going to set a boundary for myself and that's not what I'm going to see right now. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. So Were you guys deciding at this point, after two miscarriages, you were really angry, you had had a super traumatic um, miscarriage?
1: When did you guys decide, okay, let's try again? Um, So right after that miscarriage, we jumped into what's called recurrent pregnancy loss testing. Um, So you have, you're more eligible with insurance in the United States to get a bunch of tests that they don't want to test for before you have two miscarriages, which to me, makes no sense if you can avoid miscarriage and test for things beforehand. But um, I did all this testing. We still couldn't find a reason for my miscarriages. Um, and so my doctor was like, I think that this is just a case of bad luck. Um, and I just wasn't very happy with that decision to just think it was bad luck and go forward. Um, it, again, it's an unexplained pregnancy loss and it makes no sense. Um, so we took some time. I really wanted to take six months off of trying. My husband again wanted to jump back in. Um, we actually that well, yeah, because so he it, had
0: super semen. So obviously yeah, he was ready. <laughs> of
1: course you do. So <laughs> aggravating. <laughs> um, but I, um, I I say that infertility in our first miscarriage brought me and my husband closer together. We learned how to communicate a little bit differently. We learned how to support each other in grief, and it was. It was really awesome to see how close we could get um, under those circumstances. And then my second miscarriage kind of like pushed us opposite ways because for me, the second pregnancy hurt more, and I have no idea why. I have no idea why I felt a connection more to that pregnancy and why that loss was harder on me emotionally. But for him, the first pregnancy was that. In the second pregnancy, he didn't let himself get excited. He didn't let himself maybe um, look into the future. And so it didn't hurt him the same way. And so he couldn't really understand why it was harder on me. And I couldn't understand how it wasn't hard on him. Um, so that put a big strain, I think, on our relationship for a little bit until I could just accept that that's maybe the way that he ha- he's grieving and I'm grieving differently. Um, I think we started trying again four months after the miscarriage. And we did the same fertility treatment. Um, and then we got pregnant again the first time doing the, psych- the treatment. And that's how I have Cameron. So it, I, have, I did a few things different, um, but I, um, I always look back on that time to where I didn't want to try. And now I think like, well, if I didn't try, if I would have taken that six months, I wouldn't have Cameron. It's such a weird thing mm-hmm. to think back on. And were you holding your
0: breath the whole pregnancy with Cameron? Did you ever let yourself relax? Yes.
1: Um, I had a sweet spot, like I'd say, like 16, 17 weeks through 28 weeks. For some reason, the second trimester was very easy for me. I felt very excited, I felt very connected. Uh, the first and the third trimester were the hardest. And and I still don't fully understand that. Um, The first trimester, I thought that every day I was miscarrying. I had bleeding early on in the pregnancy to where I remember one day I just had a complete breakdown and I called my husband and said, I'm miscarrying. Um, I had, it was a a hematoma that was not affecting the baby, but it just was causing some bleeding. Um, And then towards the end, I just thought like, my body is going to fail me at the last minute. Like there's no way I'm going to meet this child. Right. Um, I think I cried for most of my pregnancy. Like I just, I spent so many nights, like not sleeping because I was so anxious over all the things that could happen. And I think that it wasn't until he was born that I was like, okay, we have a baby. This is actually happening. Mm -hmm. Um, and somehow with him here, I'm a lot calmer than I thought I would be because I was freaking out the entire pregnancy. Um, So, I mean, it definitely, uh, I feel like miscarriage robbed me of having like an exciting pregnancy, I guess, Mm. if that makes sense.
0: Absolutely. I think because you are preparing for the worst, you've had the worst happen. I describe (sighs) it as this is how it was for our adoption journey. I was constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop. And so I was just holding my breath to be like, this can't be, this can't be nothing good's gonna happen, so I'm gonna hold my breath for the other shoe to drop. I think honestly, we've been home with my son for through almost almost four months and I think it took us being home for at least a month or two for I uh, till I could breathe and be like Yeah. It's gonna be okay.
1: Well and, and I think that once you enter from you know from wanting the child to having the child then you have all these other things that you're worried about, right? Like you're always going to be worried that something's going to happen to them. You're always going to worry that they're not healthy or that you're not, you may, I don't know. There's always something to worry about. Um, but I do think that our journey to him taught me patience in a very weird way. Like even though in the moment I didn't have patience, now I do because I've seen how long things take and I, I value him being here I, differently. I don't know. I can't even no, articulate that makes what sense. I'm trying to say. Like but.
0: you've walked through the, you've walked through the heart and you've walked through the waiting. And I think it's one of those things that maybe this wouldn't used to be the thing that annoyed you when people said, but maybe it's true. I don't know. I've never lived your story, but when you say, Hey, the weight is worth it. And you can like look back on the weight and say that now, yeah, maybe.
1: It was 100, and I said, I think whenever I announced that he was born, I put that he was worth every bit of pain and every second of waiting. And people used to tell me that, and I would want to feel that. Like I wanted to feel like it was worth it. Um, and I would easily, if somebody were to have told me, look, you're going to go through two really traumatic losses, and life is going to be really hard for a while, but at the end of it, you're going to get the greatest gift. I think. I would still say, okay, give it to me. Like, let me have it. I can get through it. Um, But then as being Cameron's mom, it's hard because I still miss those pregnancies so much. And I still grieve those lives that, you know, didn't have the chance to be what Cameron is. And then once you have your rainbow baby, it's like, I see Cameron's face. And so I can't help but wonder is this what mm. their face would have looked like, and so it 's also like another element, so like it 's worth it, but you still miss those babies if i don 't know no'm still total trying to figure sense. out <laughs> I'm still trying to figure out grief in motherhood because I always thought that once I had the baby in my arms, that it would erase all of that, and that 's not the case at all if anything, it kind of amplifies it because now you have hormones at play and you have um, experience that you are noticing that you're missing with the children that you didn't get to meet.
0: And I think that's what I wish in a, I've only been a mom for a little bit, but what I wish that people would talk more about motherhood is that it doesn't tie it up in a pretty bow. I say that Mm -hmm. all the time on this podcast is like, I don't believe in pretty bows. Um, and that, one, I don't think we should also put the pressure on that kid. That's so much pressure to be like, you are going to make yeah. all of our grief go away. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's, wow, that's a lot of pressure to put on a 10-pound baby. But um, yeah. I think that's also something we as moms should talk more about is that there is going to be parts of motherhood that are not beautiful and that are sad. And that's okay and yeah. normal.
1: Yeah. I think um, I shared on my Instagram a a day that Carrie could not understand was Mother's Day. I have waited for Mother's Day for three years and Mother's Day came and I felt so sad. Like I didn't feel the happiness that I I had uh, previously thought that I would feel. I still felt so hurt by my journey and I felt so guilty for feeling that hurt. So I, I think I spent most of Mother's Day crying over what's happened to me and Carrie was like, Why can't you just be happy with what you have? And and I think that we have like this disconnect with understanding grief in parenthood. But um he for him, Cameron healed him, you know, Cameron fixed those broken parts of him. But for me, I, I still have those broken parts, but now I have these amazing parts too. And I try to look at it as because I'm very big on thinking I have guardian angels of my loved ones that I lost, um, I just try to think of it as that Cameron has more people looking after him in heaven, I guess.
0: And that's, it's so funny because my first Mother's Day was also, it's so, because we came to motherhood through very different ways. Um, My husband, Garrett, he, um, and I need to actually do a podcast episode about our adoption because I've never updated it. So people that don't know me that are listening to this podcast may have been like, what are you talking about? You don't have a kid. I do. Um, so, but my husband lost his dad when he was five. And so fatherhood has been so healing for him. Like he loved his first father's day. Our first mother's day was, um, the day after Theo's first mom had signed to the paperwork to, make us his parents. And also mm-hmm. I lost my mom two years ago. And so I literally stayed in bed the whole day and cried because yeah, I, I felt this beautiful grief. And that's what I think that's kind of how I came up with the podcast of like motherhood for you is like a messy hallelujah. It's you are so blessed with Cameron, but also there's messy parts of it too.
1: Yeah. And, and there's so many things in motherhood. I, I I say that motherhood has become like one of my biggest triggers because, like, there's these onesies that I bought for our first pregnancy that Cameron now fits in, and so seeing him in the outfit, it's almost like it makes me happy because I'm fine seeing a baby in this outfit. But it makes me sad because I think about how long I had that outfit for, and that he's not even the baby I bought that outfit for. Hmm. So there's there's so many parts of it that, are like you're saying, it's messy and it's confusing, and I think that there's a lot of pressure on us to be healed or to be like just happy with what we, and I don't think that we necessarily have to be.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think there's, I guess you can be, I think you can be, um, you can be grateful and you can be content without it yeah. always being happy. Yeah. I think that's just reality. reality. And I think something super interesting that I would love to ask you about that, Um, I think, so I am a Christian. That's how I openly, I saw myself a Jesus follower. And so I think because we have different faiths and different beliefs on what kind of that looks like, but I think we as Christians are the number one, um, we are the people that break my rule the most of like trying to make grief. Okay. And so I would love if you could speak into a little bit of like, if you had someone that's listening out there right now. That maybe wants to, has a friend that's going through um, fertility issues and they want to reach out and say something like, hey, I'm praying for you or God's in control. How does that feel to you as a person in the middle of the mess?
1: Um, I think that, like, I am such a weird, like, I don't know what. My faith would be defined as because I find so much comfort if somebody were to tell me that they were praying for me. I think that's one of the nicest things that somebody Mm -hmm. can say to me, even if I believe says them because they want to take time out of their busy life and think solely of me and what I'm going through and ask for guidance in, in whatever way they believe it. So I actually think that saying, I'll say a prayer for you um, is really nice. I always go with like a, a safe I'm thinking of you because I don't know how the other person would react right. to me praying for them no matter how I pray. Um, I think while I think that a lot of people do think that God is in control for me personally because of the anger I feel at, well, if the, if, if he's in control, why You would he allow all these things to happen to me? I don't find comfort in thinking that anybody is in control of anything other than myself. I guess so. I think that the praying really would help. So if if you answers or if that's like not
0: no, it does. And I think that's where my question was of like, as a person of a specific faith, and if I had a friend that maybe had a different faith than I did, and I wanted to say, hey, I am thinking of you or praying for you or whatever, and to ask what would be something that would be good to hear. So to hear you say, maybe saying just something like thinking about you or praying for you is a good way, but what would be something you would not want to hear? Yeah.
1: Um, I would not want to hear that. It's just not meant to be like hmm. some people say that. And a lot of people, I think I've definitely had people that say, um, People have said to me, God is in control. Um, it's just not meant to be. You know, the baby is in heaven with Jesus. I've heard those things before and I don't really find comfort that because to me, there's no better place for my baby than my arms, right? Like I I don't wanna think that they're not meant for this world. Um, so I, I heard a lot of that, especially after the first miscarriage, and I found very little to no comfort in it because mm-hmm to me, that just didn't, that didn't answer that. That didn't make me feel better, I guess.
0: No, that makes total sense. And um, did people say to you, like, it's all part of God's plan or Mm -hmm. how did that feel? I just want to talk about our, I want to be honest about my, my faith community and the things that we're great at and maybe the things we really suck at and like how we can, how we can be a better faith community and love our neighbors and our friends better, by thinking about what we say before we say them.
1: And it's, it's, really, it's really cool to hear you say that because I always worry that saying like it's in God's plan is not helpful. I always am afraid I'm going to offend somebody because I think that there are people that think there is a plan and they find comfort in knowing it's not in God's plan, right? But then there are people who don't see it that way at all. So I definitely think it's kind of like a know your audience thing and, and know who you're talking to before you say something like that. Um, for my husband and I, his family is very religious and they say things like it's not in God's plan. Um, like I remember whenever my husband's cousin died, they, in the service, the pastor said this was in God's plan the whole time, but he died from a tragic accident that could have 100% been avoided. Um, so I think thinking that his whole life, this was his plan to die in this tragic way wasn't comforting to either of us. Um, and so maybe to other people it was, um, I don't know. I think that that's really interesting. Like I, I could ramble on about that, but <laughs> well, cause I find religion and I find faith so interesting because there are so many avenues and there are so many different things that you can believe in. Um, I always like to know what other people believe in because I have a hundred questions about everything. Um, but for me personally, I don't believe that it was God's plan to take, to give me a child for two weeks and then take it away, I guess.
0: hmm yeah. No, that makes total sense. And I think that's a great segue kind of, I'm going to do the questions a little bit backwards because that's a really good segue into the last two questions that I like to ask. If you, someone that's listening, if they love someone that's in the middle of their messy hallelujah, how can they love them well?
1: Um, I think that to show your love for somebody who's going through, you know, their messy hallelujah, I think be somebody who they can just talk to. Like, just listen. Don't offer any words of advice. Just be an ear Um, for them to say anything without judgment. Like, we talk a lot about what not to say, but I think that people just need a safe place to say what's on their heart and to say how they're feeling without being afraid that they're going to be judged for maybe sounding depressed about what they're going through. Or, um, for me, I definitely appreciate whenever somebody just listens, checks in and says, I haven't heard from you in a while. How are you doing? Um, especially if it's a fertility related messy spot, like for me after my miscarriages, people checking in weeks after instead of just the days after was very helpful. So, um, I think communication, yeah, just be there, awesome. be a good friend.
0: That's awesome. And if someone is in the middle of their messy hallelujah, maybe that's fertility, maybe it's something else. What words of advice could you give them?
1: Um, well, I know like if I were to tell myself in the middle of my messy spot, I just would want to remind myself that it will get better. Like No hard time is meant to last forever. Like there has to be a beginning and an end. And one day you're going to look back and and think, wow, I got through that. You know, I'm on the other side. And even though this is going to stay with me, it gets better. It gets easier. So I think that knowing that things, difficult times are temporary, they don't last forever, is really important. Yeah. That's awesome.
0: Well, Arden, I'm so, this was a great conversation. I love getting to learn from different perspectives and just hear more about your journey. And if some of our listeners want to connect with you and learn more about your fertility journey or ask questions or whatever, how could they get in contact with you?
1: Yeah. So I, um, I share pretty openly on Instagram. I'm at Arden M. Cartret. Um, Hopefully you'll put the spelling of my I name am. somewhere. That I will way. Okay, put it great. in there. Don't worry. <laughs> it's a hard one. So I share pretty openly on there, and I also have a blog called Hello Warrior, which I started as a fertility blog because in the fertility world we're known as infertility warriors and miscarriage warriors. Um, So I've just kind of created a space there where I talk about infertility, miscarriage, motherhood after those things, Um, and that is hello-warrior.com. I also have my um, infertility and loss journey kind of written out in detail there. Um, I'm I try to be really responsive to DMs, so I always make myself responsive responsive to people who are especially going through miscarriage because my big thing is I kind of share the hard stuff with miscarriage to share the things that I didn't know going into it and things that um, could have prepared me better, like what to buy if you miscarry at home or what to expect if you miscarry at home. So um, I always invite people to DM me on Instagram if they're going through miscarriage and need a little extra support.
0: That's awesome. That's things I would never even thought about and things you probably, you don't know until you know. So I'm so exactly. glad that you're being a resource out there for some of your other fellow warriors. Well, yeah. Arden, thank you so much, girl. This was an awesome conversation and I'm so glad that you joined us. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I learned so much with my time with Arden and I hope that you did too. She really just opened my eyes to maybe the stupid things that we say when we're trying to help people feel better in the middle of their messy. And so I hope that you learned something today too. If you have a Messy Hallelujah that you would like to share with us, we would love to hear it. So you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Messy Hallelujah Podcast, or you can email us at messyhallelujah at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay messy.